If you want to turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 13, it's been a few weeks since we met. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. Hope you had a happy new year with your families. Uh, this year in Foundations, we are looking at the priority of love in the family. And the Corinthians, if we're looking at kind of the context of what we're, what we're dealing with here, the Corinthians were selfishly seeking their own in a variety of different ways, a variety of different pursuits, even pursuits that we would consider to be godly, like spiritual gifts or taking the Lord's Supper and those types of things. They were, they were doing those in a selfish way. Um, and he tells them, if you back up one verse to uh, chapter 12, verse 31, that they are earnestly desiring the greatest gifts, the greater gifts, and he says, I will show you a more excellent way. And in Foundations this year, we are examining that more excellent way, and it is the way of love. The more excellent way is agape, or selfless love. So why don't we read this together, starting in... Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, and actually I'll back up to 12.31. He says, But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And since it's been a few weeks and there are quite a few new faces here, I just wanted to start walking through a quick review just to bring us up to speed of what we've learned so far. We began in verses 1 to 3, which teaches that our prime concern in everything that we do, whether that's in the church using our spiritual gifts, whether it's in our home, in our parenting, our families, our relationship with our wives, one another. Our primary concern with the things that we do is our motivation. We can do all the right things, but if we have the wrong motivation or we're doing those things for the wrong purpose, specifically pride, then they're essentially worthless or nothing. The right motivation is love or what Paul calls the more excellent way. And specifically, it's agape love, which is self-sacrificing, unconditional love. And everything we accomplish in our walk with the Lord, apart from love, is worthless if we're not motivated by love. And so Paul tells the Corinthians, and he's telling us, to let love drive our actions and our words and our thoughts as they exercise their spiritual gifts and as we do that and interact with one another. But he doesn't leave it there. He, he says you need to walk in agape love. And then he helpfully gives us a very uh, great definition of agape love in verses 4 through 8. And this definition, as we talked about, contains a lot of verbs. Because agape love is an action, not a feeling. These are things we need to be doing in our families. The first characteristic of agape love is that love is patient. Patience means to be long-suffering. 
to remain tranquil while waiting and to bear up under provocation without complaint. We talked about the fact that patience is very difficult because we only have to exercise patience when things are not going the way we want them to. Now, the only way that we can really do anything but patience, kindness, all these things that we're supposed to do, the only reason that we are able to do that is, is because Christ has loved us. God was patient with us. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He goes on to say, in, uh, or Peter does there in, in 2 Peter 3.9, that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient, patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So patience is an attribute of God, and it's something that we should emulate as we seek to be loving to one another. The second characteristic in Paul's definition of love is that love is kind. Kindness means that we are warm to one another and generous, that we're welcoming and we're able to serve one another out of the kindness of our heart. When I was a very young Christian, I'm talking about weeks old, newly born again, the guy that led me to the Lord went to Denton Bible Church. And if you've been to a church that doesn't teach expository preaching and then you attend a church that teaches expository preaching verse by verse, exposition of the word of God it it's life-changing and that's how it was for me and so that's what Tom Nelson did there at Denton Bible Church and so I listened uh, on Sundays and they had this tape ministry where you could check out these tapes that were in these big binders like cassette tapes and I would get those he taught through Romans and Ephesians and Revelation I was just devouring these tapes and as I was listening to these one of the sermons that he was teaching I don't even remember the the main topic of it but he was talking about kindness and something that he said stuck with me and it still has stuck with me for 25 years he told a story his illustration really he said that um, a man died who had been married for over 60 years okay he'd been married to this woman for 60 years and tom nelson was there when he breathed his last and his wife was sitting there and the first thing that his wife said through the tears in his eyes when his her husband had died was he was so kind that was the first thing that, that, that she said. And that's just always struck me. She said he was so kind. Kindness is an oddity in the world. Like a husband being kind, no matter what, to their wife is extremely odd in the world. And it sets the Christian apart. And so men, we can have a huge impact in our relationships with our wives if we are just kind to them consistently lovingly kind one of the primary ways that we can display love to your wife and to your kids is to be kind to them paul then begins with a list of things that love is not love is patient love is kind and then to help us round out in our minds this definition of agape love he says several things that love is not and the first thing is that love is not jealous it's not discontent with what i don't have right it's not resentful because someone else has a possession or some success that I want. Jealousy can be either I want something that someone else has or it could be I don't want them to have it because I don't have it. And both of those are, are jealous. So love, rather than, rather than being jealous, rejoices alongside somebody that is being blessed by the Lord and is content with God, with what God has given them. And then last time we met, we talked about the fact that love does not brag or is not arrogant, which we can kind of boil down to pride. Okay, love is not pr 
proud. Rather, we to have the mind of Christ and be meek and humble. And so that brings us to the fact that we're going to look at today, and that is that love does not act unbecomingly. Love does not act unbecomingly, which might not be at the top of your list if you're listing the things that love is or is not, that it doesn't act unbecomingly. But as I've looked at this, this might be one of the most practical ways, day in and day out, that we can love one another in our homes. You know, there's a, there's a reason that diplomats and ambassadors go to great lengths to study the customs and the manners of the, cu- of the country that they're going to go and serve at. Right, because they don't want to unnecessarily offend the leaders or the people of that country. They don't want to cause problems that would hurt negotiations or hurt relationships. There's also a reason that it's wise if you're visiting a, a country for business or maybe even on vacation that you would take some time and, and learn a few of the customs of that country before you visit to make sure you don't do something that would distress the people right, or, or hurt your business in some way. You might also think that you're representing in a way your country And so you wouldn't want to go over there and and be the dunderheaded American that just, you know, hasn't taken any time to to learn the customs of that country. You wouldn't want to do something rude that would give a bad reputation. There's also a reason that a missionary will study sometimes for years to learn the language and the manners and the customs and the culture of that people group that they are going to minister to. Study for years to do that because they are representing Christ. They must must try to do everything they can to not upset or offend those people with bad manners or rudeness. Because the gospel itself is a stumbling block to unbelievers and they don't want to unnecessarily put unnecessary stumbling blocks in front of them before they even get to the gospel. So whether you're visiting a country as a diplomat or a businessman or a visitor or a missionary, whether you're motivated by the care for your employee or your work or the country or other people around you you would not want to act unbecomingly or you wouldn't want to act in a shocking or unsuitable way in that situation you would want those around you to be comfortable well there's also a reason that we would not unnecessarily want to offend a brother or sister in christ that we would not pointlessly offend a spouse or make your children or your family members uncomfortable through your rude and brash behavior because love is not unbecoming. So this evening, I want to answer three questions related to Paul's instruction that will help us understand how we can love one another better. The Holy Spirit instructs us through the pen of the Apostle Paul that we are to love one another with selfless agape love to think of others before ourselves to go out of our way to love other people and so he tells us that love does not act unbecomingly so the first question as we look to define our term here what does it mean to act unbecomingly what does it mean to act unbecomingly let's try to find out exactly what paul is instructing us not to do here now we've We've typically defined our term right out of the gate here as we've gone through these different things. And previously, it's been a relatively easy thing to grasp, right? We all kind of know what it means to be impatient or jealous or proud. There's some nuances there, but by and large, we kind of know what that means. And while we know what it means to be rude, by and large, this word translated unbecomingly is a bit different because it has a lot of variety in its meaning. The word translated unbecoming 
in the Greek means to act contrary to the standard. Okay, so there's a standard and you're acting outside of that. Or to behave disgracefully or dishonestly or indecently. Or behavior that elicits disgrace or shameless deeds. Okay, so Leon Morris says that the word has a wide range of meaning and that's reflected in the variety of ways that English translators have translated this word throughout history. And if we look quickly at those various translations, it might help us kind of get an idea of what Paul's talking about here. So it's translated in the NSB, we've seen, as love does not act unbecomingly. But we could do a quick survey of other English translations in it, and they translate it like this. Love does not dishonor others. Love does not act disgracefully. It does not behave unseemly. Love does not act improperly. Others say that love is careful not to pass the bounds of decency. I like that. Love is careful not to pass the bounds of decency. Others say love is not ill-mannered, inappropriate. And finally, love is not rude, which is probably the word in our language today that best sums this up. Love is not rude. So if you're acting unbecomingly or rude or unseemly or improper, if you're passing outside the bounds of decency, then you're not acting up to the standard that we have called to as we're called to love others. As a Christian, you represent Christ. As a parent, you represent the Father in a way to your kids. And you wouldn't want to do anything that tarnished that reputation. Love for him, love for the gospel requires you and I to act a certain way. And in a way that becomes or represents the love that we say that we have for Christ and those around us. And ultimately, when you're acting rude, you're telling others, I don't care about you. I care more about me and what I want to do. I don't care if I put you ill at ease as long as I get what I want. But when you love them, you will want them to be at ease and be comfortable. So that gives us a good kind of framework to discuss what we're talking about here with not being unbecoming or rude. So let's look at the next question, which is what does rudeness look like? What does rudeness look like? And first, let's examine what rudeness looked like in Corinth. Rudeness in Corinth. So when the Holy Spirit um, inspired Paul to, to write this letter, he was addressing certain things in Corinth that, were, that they were doing that was rude or, or inappropriate. There, were, there was a lot of discourtesy and inappropriate behavior going on. MacArthur points out, he says this, he says, the Corinthians were models of unbecoming behavior. Acting unseemly was almost their trademark. Nearly everything they did was rude and unloving. Nearly everything they did was rude and unloving. They were selfish people. So I got three things here. There's more of them. But I just got three things here in Corinth that Paul specifically um, targets with regard to their rudeness. One is sexual misconduct. Okay, this word for rude is often used in, in uh, Koine Greek for inappropriate behavior in sexual matters and it's used that way in first Corinthians in chapter 5 these uh, Corinthians were sinning and acting disgracefully by giving assent to a man having a relationship with his father's wife that's inappropriate our word also appears in chapter 7 and verse 36 where Paul admonishes them for behaving improperly or shamefully toward their betrothed and so Paul specifically addresses their rudeness and unbecoming and shameful acts with regards to sexual 
misconduct. Which hits home for us. As, as our culture goes more and more towards that, we need to more and more correct towards being appropriate and, and towards um, others. Secondly, the Corinthians were also discourteous and unbecoming towards others when they met for the Lord's Supper. They were humiliating the poor when they would gather together. Chapter 11, verse 21 says that each one takes his own supper first. There we have selfishness. All I care is about me. I'm going to show up. I provided the most of this meal anyways because I'm rich and I'm going to get mine first and let you have whatever's left over. The haves were discourteous to the have-nots during the communion meal, showing contempt for the poor. Now this is something that James also condemns in James chapter 2. James chapter 2 where he condemns preferential treatment towards the rich and dishonoring of the poor. And he says that's not being gentle. It's not being gentle or, or loving. That's discourteous and unloving. Next, to act unbecoming also means that you act outside of the cultu cultural norms and outside of decency. Okay? So by doing this, you dishonor others around you. So some Corinthian women struggled with this. And they brought disgrace on the church and they brought disgrace on their husbands by shamefully prophesying without head coverings. You can read about that in chapter 11, verses 2 to 16. Now, we don't have a, a lot of time to go into women and head coverings tonight. Sadly, I'd love to dive into that, but sadly, we can't do that. Um, but ultimately, they were flaunting their Christian liberty at others' expenses. By uncovering their heads, they went against the societal norm, saying, I have this liberty in Christ to do this. I don't care if it makes you uncomfortable. I'm going to do it anyways. And they were being rude, rude and dishonoring their husbands because they were outside of the standard. It was not loving their husbands well. Uh, my daughter, Annabelle, is serving in Mexico at a missions agency. And before she left, um, I don't know if the, the agency sent her some, some uh, paperwork or something about appropriate dress or she looked it up on her own, whatever. We had a discussion about it. But she found out that it's improper to wear jeans with holes in them there in Mexico. Okay? It's not sinful. It's not a bad thing to do here. Although I don't know why you would buy jeans that already have holes in them. But that's something that, you know, that's cool now. Okay? So, but there, it's rude. Here it's stylish. There, it's rude. And therefore, she would be unloving and rude if she went down there and said, well, I've got the right to do this. So I'm going to wear my holy jeans anyways. No, so she left those at home rather than exercise her, her Christian liberty and be rude to the people that she was going to minister to. So those are the few of the shameful and rude things that the Corinthians were doing that Paul says is outside of love. It's contrary to being loving. Next, let's look at rudeness today. Today, there are many ways that we can act unbecomingly. Okay, some are obvious, some are very similar to the Corinthians. You know, a few of those are the way you talk at work. Maybe you don't tell the crude joke, but you participate in it. Maybe of a, a sexual nature. That's rude, that's disrespectful. It's treating women with disrespect. The way you dress can be rude. Women dressing inappropriately or shamefully is rude. Remember, indecency was a part of our definition. Dressing indecently or inappropriate is not loving those around you because it makes them feel uncomfortable. Not only provocative dress is rude, but also not dressing appropriate to the occasion can be rude. 
right? Wearing cutoffs on a t-shirt to a wedding, for example, communicates a lack of care and a lack of love. Okay, if somebody's taking the time to put this together, the way you present yourself when you go there can either be loving and, and like you care about them, or we can communicate rudeness. Treating others differently because of wealth or looks or background, similar to the Corinthians. We can be guilty of that ourselves. How about being habitually late? Always late or ignoring people who are talking to you. Perhaps preoccupied on your phone. You know, your child's talking to you and you're rudely just like nodding along as you're looking at your phone. Something as simple as saying please and thank you. Please and thank you. That communicates, it turns a demand into a request. It's polite to people, to the person you're talking to. So those are obvious examples of rude behavior. So instead, what if you only spoke to women respectfully as fellow image bearers of Christ? What if you always dressed appropriately? What if you worked hard to consider the other person? You got up earlier, you did everything you needed on time so that you can leave in time to consistently be on time to communicate to that person that your time matters to me. It's important to me. You could give others the full, inten- full attention while you're talking. You know, as parents, we can put our phone down, look at our kids in the eye, talk to them rather than just nodding along, and then, you know, have something, you know, of worth to communicate back to them. Those are, are different ways that we can just start to turn the tables on what could be a pattern of rudeness in our life. Doing those things communicate that you care and they're loving. Some things are fairly obvious, some things are not so obvious. Matthew Henry says that acting unbecomingly extends to treating folks properly according to station or according to their authority. Okay, so we are very sensitive here to a person of high standard pridefully talking down to somebody else. Like we recognize that as rude, and it is. We should treat all people with honor and respect. We're sensitive to that, but we've kind of become desensitized when it goes the other way. You know, it's also rude to be disrespectful to those in authority over you. So we need to be teaching our children to respect those in authority over them. And that's loving them, right? To, to teachers or to parents or church leaders or just adults in general. To be, to be polite and to love other people. We do not want to train our kids to be unloving and rude. Another way that we could neglect to love others is through our table manners table manners you ever thought through what you're saying to others around you if you're ill-mannered at the table if you've thought about the fact that training your kids to be mannerly at the table is training them to love others but that's what we're doing one author says that manners are meant to reduce friction to be ill-mannered displays a lack of concern for others and tells them i don't care about you But the courteous person, the loving person, will conduct themselves in all walks of life, including something that seems as insignificant as sitting at the table, in a way that brings them comfort. William Barclay translates this text as, Love does not behave gracelessly, but that love is gracious to others. Love responds to the rude comment with grace and kindness. And we should be gracious towards believers, gracious towards our spouse, gracious towards our children. Um, And and we also need to be gracious and courteous towards the unbelieving world. And this bleeds over into all of our interactions with those around us. Courteous people are winsome. Rude people are repugnant. 
Um, I recently read an article about the worst, which day has the worst reputation, which day and time has the worst reputation from waiters to, to wait tables, right? Which date and time is the worst, according to waiters? And it's Sunday afternoon. It's the after church crowd. That's kind of sad, isn't it? Sunday afternoon shouldn't have a reputation for being the worst day and time for waiters to work. It should have the best, right? And the things that were listed as reasons for that were low tips, impolite people, cranky people, and more kids make it an undesirable time for waiters. Now, we can't do anything about the kids, right? (laughs) Sadly. I mean, you could, you know, leave one of them. No, you couldn't do that. Um, But what if, you left a clean table and picked up after yourself. You didn't leave just the mess, you know, that, that happens when you take kids. Believe me, I understand. You take kids and the fries go everywhere. And but what if you took the time and you cleaned that up? What if you left a generous tip? What if you were always polite, never ever rude to that waiter, regardless of how long the food took to come out, regardless of how it comes out? You can, you can voice the fact that you would prefer to have another meal or whatever, but never rude. You can do that in a polite way. All of those are just small things that we can do on a weekly basis to be gracious and courteous to others. And then when you you think about leaving the gospel tract with the bill, it's not an embarrassment. I would do that, but you know I said that impolite, rude thing, so now I can't I can't leave that gospel tract. So we want to be a loving light to the world. We want to have a polite, welcoming home that's filled with grace. It's not rude. So our final question, very simple question, how do we grow in politeness? How do we grow in politeness? Well, in keeping with the biblical model of change from Ephesians chapter 4, the first step would be to put off rudeness, put off rude behavior. And so in order to do that, we need to get get to the root of what is causing this rudeness and this rude behavior that we may be struggling with. What is the root cause for not considering others with our behavior? Well, it depends on who you ask, actually. What do you think the secular world says that the root cause is? How would the the world diagnose and cure the problem of rude behavior? So glad you asked. Because even though the problem is discourtesy, lack of care of others, and too much self, therapists, secular therapists, not surprisingly prescribe more self-love, right? Which isn't surprising, but it's still ridiculous, right? I used to have a, uh, I used to carry a strep strain, right? And so every year I would get a strep throat. It was like clockwork, right? This is many years ago. And so I would, I'd feel it coming on. I'd go to the doctor and strep is a a bacteria. And um, so they would prescribe antibiotics. And I'd take these special antibiotics and it would go away, right? Designed to kill the strep. Now, what if I went into that doctor and he said, yep, here, you got the strep again, um, microbes and germs in your system. What I prescribed is more strep bacteria. In fact, I've got this IV set up here. We're going to pump more strep into your bloodstream with the hopes that that strep will kill the strep. Well, I don't care how many degrees and letters that that doctor has after his name. I'm going to say no. Right? That is ridiculous. I'm not doing that. Right? Sadly, often that's the way therapists, even Christian therapists, treat selfish behavior such as rudeness. Is you're thinking about yourself, what you need is more self. Not to belabor the point, but I, I read 
a book. I picked up a book by a Christian um, therapist on 1 Corinthians 13, studying through this, so I just want to leap through it and read it. And this is an excerpt from this book, okay? It says, Jennifer Crocker and Ian Schwartz, so this is a study that he's quoting in this book. Okay? And two people that did the study, Crocker and Schwartz, okay? Crocker and Schwartz have uncovered the primary motivator for rude behavior. They've cracked the code, right? And you can probably guess what it is. That's what it says. And I'm thinking, yeah, I can probably guess what it is. Well, these researchers wanted to know for sure if how low self-esteem causes contempt. Crocker and Schwartz concluded low self-esteem individuals seem to have a generally negative view of themselves, and that causes them to be ill-mannered and rude towards others. The author goes on, the same is true in marriage. The husband or wife who feel empty on the inside, whose self-worth and dignity have all but vanished, will eventually resort to rude behavior in a last-ditch effort to build up themselves. So according to the secular world, including Christian psychologists, the problem is low self-esteem. The solution is more self-focus and a higher view of self. And scripture sees it differently. Because the truth is the exact opposite. Rude, ill-mannered, discourteous, indecent behavior stems from selfishness, only thinking of myself, from the heart level, and so the solution is not more self, but love for Christ, greater love for others, greater pursuit of service, looking out for other people before myself. The solution is self-denial. The pillar commentary says in, in, uh, about this in their 1 Corinthians commentary, it says, Rudeness is the thoughtless or unkind pursuit of the immediate wishes of the self. The thoughtless or unkind pursuit of the immediate wishes of me, regardless of the conventions, regardless of the courtesies of interpersonal life. I, I want what I want. I don't care enough to change my behavior about you. I don't care if you think this is rude or it makes you uncomfortable. It's a pursuit of immediate self-gratification. And agape love considers others first. This is the testimony of Scripture. This is the pattern for change. Okay, 1 Corinthians 10, 24, earlier in this book, Paul told these same people, he said, no one should seek their own good, but seek the good of others. Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. James gets in on it too. James 3.16, he says, where you have self envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find every disorder and every evil practice, including rudeness, including um, being um, inappropriate. Jesus, uh, Jesus said in Mark 8, 34, whoever wants to be my disciple needs more self-esteem and more self-love. Oh, wait, no, it doesn't say that. He says, whoever wants to be my, be my disciple must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And as we'll see next week, Paul specifically says that love is not self-seeking. So love doesn't act unbecomingly because love is selfless. And so we need to put off rude or ill-mannered behavior and we need to put on the opposite we put off rudeness and we put on courtesy we could say that love is courteous love is considerate of other people turn to titus uh, 3 um, we're going to look at the first two verses of titus real quick Titus 3, 
So Paul here is giving Titus some instructions on how to minister to the churches in Crete. Titus' job was to go to this island of Crete and appoint elders at this church and then train them and remind them to teach the people certain things, right? And so he's, he's telling Titus to remind them, both the, the, the congregants there and also the elders, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. That last thing he mentions there in verse 2 is to be considerate to everybody. If you have an ESV, it says, show perfect courtesy towards all people. And this should begin to flow out of our hearts as we, we seek to honor the Lord. We seek to love Christ and love others. Love means that you are courteous and polite to other people, that you consider other people actively seeking out ways that you can change your behavior to make them more comfortable and more at ease. And so I'm sure you see the pattern by now. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's a pattern here. When you are motivated by selfishness, you act unloving, unkind, impatient, envious. You think of yourself and your need for everybody to see your greatness, and so you boast. You also don't care about the comfort of others and your self-focus, and you are rude and ill-mannered because you only care about yourself. Those who are loving with Christ-like agape love go out of their way to be kind. They're patient. They rejoice with those who God blesses without jealousy. They encourage others with humility. They do everything that they can to make others feel comfortable because you love them, because you love Christ. You want to represent him well because you love the gospel. You want to put up a, a stumbling block there because you love your kids. So on one side, love's side is the person that is courteous, has good manners, acts appropriately, and is polite goes through life with the other people in mind. And on the other side is the loveless person who cares nothing for the feelings of others or their insensitivities, is careless, overbearing, acts unbecomingly, and is crude. And in the same way that a businessman or an ambassador or a missionary would do their best to put on the best to make other people feel at ease, we need to do our best to create a loving courteous environment in our homes after all you are a missionary to your kids your kids are your mission field you are an ambassador of christ and so for therefore we must be courteous and put off unbecoming behavior let's pray lord we thank you for um your word we thank you for the reminder thank you for the um the call to be loving to one another Lord, thank you for laying this out for us um, so that we can learn how we can better love our families and our wives and our husbands. Lord, I pray that um, you would bless our small group time and you'd be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.